I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Good evening. Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. And I'm um, here in Tagazoot, Morocco, my rooftop terrace, bedroom, suite thing, and uh, just recovering from 24-hour food poisoning, couldn't move any joint in my body, <laughs> and, uh, but I made it through alive, I'm back, doing the podcast. Uh, today's episode is Mr. Stephen Maxwell, you very likely may have heard of him already, he is a fantastic fella. He's a world-renowned fitness coach, jiu-jitsu, black belt instructor, first black belt ever to be uh, black belted, <laughs> presented as black belt from uh, Helson Gracie. Um, apparently, Wikipedia says he was the first guy to start teaching kettlebell classes in the United States. That's kind of a big deal. Um, so, super interesting conversation. Hope y'all enjoy it. In this talk, we got into his lifestyle was a big thing, really fascinating. He went from owning a big old gym, having a big old house and family and all that stuff, um, to converting to a little bit different style, or now his whole entire existence, from my understanding, fits into a backpack, and he cruises the world teaching workshops and uh, just traveling and, and living his life up. He's uh, 62, probably 63 years old now. And a really super fascinating guy. We get into how to how to mold your mind, how to control your thoughts, your subconscious thoughts into uh, turning yourself into a mental, physical samurai, and much, much more than that. And it kind of goes back to this principle of believing that you yourself aren't good enough, that you always have to be adding to yourself because you aren't good enough that you need more, but it's simply not true. And the same thing happens with experiences. People feel they need all these experiences and they need to amass and collect experiences and collect these memories. I no longer believe that. So I, I don't feel like I need novelty. I don't feel like I need to collect experiences any more than I would collect material possessions. Be sure to utilize the aligntherapy.com website. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there you will find the blog. You'll find hundreds of free videos on self-care and functional movement. Uh, you will find the self-care kit, foam roller, balls, bands, all fits inside. Comes with a video ebook course. Helps out my travels and these journeys across the world and uh, helps your tissues move silky and smooth and well lubricated the way that they should. Thank you so much for tuning in. Subscribe, share, um, do all that stuff. Please, please, please leave those beautiful little comments on iTunes. Helps the algorithms know that people are enjoying the show and it's helping out the world. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for all your, all your support. You fine, fine people. Um, in this episode, one little side note, the sound quality is not 
up to par with the rest of the episodes. I apologize for this. It, uh, there was there was a couple little little issues, little little snags on it, and we didn't realize until after we were finished recording. So. The content's good. The audio quality could be better, but uh, we'll be sure this does not happen again. Thank you so much. Enjoy this fruta. Ciao. Oh, yeah, I'm heading to Italy in a few weeks. So if you got any, any tips, comments, anything I should be checking out there, hit me up. I'd love to hear your opinion. All right. Stephen Maxwell. Align podcast. So one of the things that you mentioned was uh, free range parenting, and I think that it, that's such a, a cool concept. You know, or, or, or call it the concept, but it's just such a cool thing to think about. It's like we need to maintain that degree of free rangeness throughout our whole entire life. It's not just about free range parenting. I think it's about free range lifestyle. You know, it's like we we care about where our chickens are roaming and the cows and all that, but then we're sitting, you know, clumped up in our desks all day, like underneath luminescent lights or, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, that is not okay. It's not acceptable. And somehow we've come to a point where it's like, yeah, it's just, that's just the norm. It's not, the norm is broken, you know? And one of the things I think so many people, we end up calling old age. We get confused with old age and stagnant movement, you know? And it's like, we end up blaming the human body for breaking down on us, but we're not giving it the information that it needs, you know? And so one of the things, as we're talking here, you're pacing around the room. I'm standing yeah, I'm, I'm actually walking from side to side in a hotel room. Right. Downtown Austin. Right. You know, I don't sit. I try to move as much as I can. I, and I'm doing the same thing, man. I'm balanced on, on top of a foam roller, and then I got this other little apparatus that I'm balancing on top of. And so we're doing the same thing. <laughs> As we're having this conversation. And from my perspective, I feel like if the human form, if you keep feeding it that information for its whole duration of life, it should keep on just getting maybe not stronger, but moving more and more effectively. And eventually you can just die. But we don't need to like crumble up and die like so many people believe. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, for sure. For one thing, you know, we... Uh, everyone's uh, heard of, perhaps they haven't said principle, you know, specific adaptation to imposed demand. Right. For most people, the imposed demand pretty much is sitting on their ass all day, <laughs> you know. And your body adapts very well to everything you ask it to do. And if you're asking it to primarily sit, you know, a lot, uh, that's exactly uh, what you're going to get, the ability to sit a lot. For long periods of time. And you see it in people's posture, forward head, kyphosis, sometimes a big lordotic curve, you know, from hunching over a, a desk or whatever. The uh, and, and people, you know, the, um, maybe they'll go out and train for a half an hour a day, which is a lot for most people. Some let's say let's say even a person trains an hour a day or moves for an hour a day. But then for the rest of the time, they're sitting or lying down in bed, which is most people, right? They get up in the morning, they sit at the breakfast table, uh, they sit in the car to go to work or maybe the train or the bus, uh, they sit at lunch, then they sit at their desk after lunch, then they'll sit in the car again, and what's the first thing they do when they hit the door of the house? They'll sit down and go on social media, their Facebook, their email, maybe they'll watch television, and then they're laying in bed all night. So 20, 
one hour of training a day will not offset this 23 hours of non-movement. No freaking way, man. Right. You're still going to have all sorts of immobilities and, and, and so forth. You got to move almost all day long. Now, I do realize that this is unrealistic for a lot of people that are in the, you know, the tech industry or whatever. They, they have to, uh, they have to sit, but I like to, like, I, I do a lot of iPad work myself. I have a lot of online personal clients. It takes me a few hours every day to be able to answer all the uh, training log uh, questions that people send me in. So uh, I set an alarm. So every 30 minutes, actually every 27 minutes, I get up and I move for three minutes. I'll march in place, I'll pace, I'll do some joint mobility. Sometimes I get in the floor and roll around like a little kid, crawl a little bit, so that I can keep my my system set. Because your body is an amazingly adaptive machine. It will adapt to whatever you ask it to do. And if sitting is your primary activity, it shuts down all non-essential movement patterns. So even if you're lifting in the gym or taking a run, you're still going to get very stiff and immobile if you're sitting pretty much all day long because your body will literally get rid of any movement patterns it doesn't use on a regular basis. Not to mention your posture gets really, really bad. So you pretty much got to get up and move periodically all day long. Uh, and, and that and, and what we consider normal aging, it's not normal aging. It's abnormal. Yeah. You know, we don't need, well, actually, you know what it is? It is normal for today's society. But it doesn't have to be that way. Right. You know, like the great Jack Lelaine. I actually met Jack a couple of times, listened to some of his talks. And Jack used to say, hey, look, uh, for those that don't know who Jack Lelaine was, he was an American fitness icon. He used to be like a bodybuilder at the Old Muscle Beach, a physical culturist. In his later years, he, was a, you know, he preached the gospel of fitness and good diet. And uh, Jack was in his mid-90s and still doing things like one-arm push-ups and uh, he would celebrate his birthday by shackling his hands and his feet together and towing boats. I think he towed three boats with 60 people in at one time from Alcatraz Island. Talk about <laughs> in that ice-cold water. You know, that's pretty amazing right. if anyone's ever been to San Francisco Bay. But, I mean, he was that kind of fitness guy. And even towards the end, he was still spry. And he was still training on a daily basis. And he could still move. And his favorite, one of his favorite things was, "Hey man, I'm not, I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not anything special. Yeah. Um, anyone can do what I do exactly. if they're willing to do what I do." <laughs> right. So I, I always had this funny little saying with my girlfriend, you know, "What would Jack do?" You know, I think in these situations, "What would Jack do?" You know, would Jack take the uh, the uh, escalator or the elevator, or would he walk the stairs? Would, would, would Jack drive four blocks over to the Whole Foods for dinner or would he walk it, you know? So I'm always looking for ways just to move my body and, and keep myself mobile and active. Right. And it has nothing to do with burning calories, by the way. You know, some people think, oh, well, you know, you got to create this caloric deficit and you got to move so you burn calories. Man, you don't burn that many calories, this type of movement. You don't burn that many calories doing cardio. So don't do it for calorie burning. Do it for the sake of maintaining your ability to move and your mobility. 
Yeah, and you know, in, in every level in your body, I mean, you could look at your body kind of like a, like a, a river, like a flowing river. You know, you want to maintain that flow throughout the, the whole entire day. Every time you sit in some crumpled up position or sitting at a desk, whatever it is, it's as though you're you know you're instilling like a boombukla. You're you're putting in in a dam in that space. You know, and eventually what happens with those dams is they build up, 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 you know, and eventually, I mean, this is li quite literally like a blood clot, you know, on a plane or just in general, just the stiffening of your body. You're looking like atherosclerosis, you know, like plaque developing in your arteries. You know, it's like we need to be thinking about our body as the, the mobile expressive system that it is, you know, and I'm, I'm curious with you, as you are, you know, as you are aging, like, what have you noticed shift? Because I know that, uh, you know, we're not going to feel like we're 20 forever. Um, you know, and my thought is that you can move smarter as you get older to make up for, you know, the potential lack of, like, just sheer power that you had when you were a kid. Um, what, what's that transition been like? And what are you thinking about? Like, what's advice for people? Well, for your audience, your listeners, that uh, I'm, I'm 62. I've been training like more than half a century. I've been training for 52 years. I started when I was 10 years old, pretty much like uh, formal training. You know, up to that point, I was just a boy just playing and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, so I started formal training with an old York barbell set when I was like 10, trying to get big muscles. <laughs> but uh, yeah, each decade I've noticed a little bump once I was past 40. You know, like uh, when I say bump, I mean, I just noticed a slight decline in, in uh and abilities, uh, it primarily manifested itself in, uh, in uh, a little bit harder to recover from really, really hard workouts and so forth. Uh, I, I also realized that you don't really need to work out all that hard that often. I usually do like one really hard workout a week now at this point. I find that you just don't need that much more, and more doesn't mean better. And uh, I mean... For sure, we're all going to age and we're all going to die. No one gets out of here alive, you know. There, uh, there's a reason why there's a due date in, in cottage cheese. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, eventually that age-related muscle loss is going to hit, the sarcopenia and so forth, but you just do your best to slow that down to a crawl. You know, I have definitely lost some muscle mass and uh, a little bit smaller than I used to be. Uh, I'm not as strong as I used to be, but I'm still pretty damn spry. And anyone that gets on the mat with me will say, wow, that's a pretty strong old man. So, you know, you're able to maintain a pretty high level of that. And, uh, I'm not so sure that the exercise and all that really lengthens your life that much, but it sure lengthens the, the quality of years that you have. So I, I've, I mean, it's really sad. If you think of your grandmother, or your grandfather, uh, on both sides of the family, maybe even your mother and her father, and you see what happened to them as they got older. That's pretty much what's in everyone's uh, genetic heritage. That's what's awaiting you if you don't take steps to correction. And in my family tree, people aged. Some of them were pretty long-lived, but they aged very bad. They spent like the last 20, 30 years suffering and, and basically uh, unable to move very well at all. Crippled up with uh, arthritis, in some cases osteoarthritis. They look, they, they look pretty bad. They're all bent over. and they, they basically spent 30 years dying. So I would like to prevent that. And I think I'm, 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 I'm going to be a good example. Um, I'm able to do things in my 60s that my dad couldn't even do when he was in his late 30s, early 40s. So 
a uh, the the whole thing is is, is trying to uh, not give in to uh, your 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 genetic heritage. You know, you know, I don't think you have to accept that. That's the problem. See, so many people just assume that being all bent over and stooped and and so forth uh, is is all part of the aging process, but it's not. You don't have to accept that. Uh, a lot of people have this vision in their mind of what you know aging looks like, but it's based on a false principle. Uh, it's based on like what happens to most people. I have a whole different model in mind. So we'll see if it works out, man. Yeah. <laughs> only, only time will tell. But so far at 62, uh, I'm way ahead of the curve as far as what I what my other relatives came from. Right. So, but you know, you got to be uh, eternally vigilant. It takes work. You know, yeah. it's like everything else is worthwhile. I mean, it's not going to be like this easy thing. You you got to be disciplined. You, you uh, I don't eat junk food. I don't eat sugar. I don't eat desserts. I don't drink alcohol. I don't smoke. Occasionally, I'll use a little marijuana and some THC, which I think has great medicinal qualities. But I don't. Uh, I think alcohol is a deadly poison. Uh, I have never uh, been an overeater. I am very careful uh, to systematically undereat. I keep my body fat percentage around eight percent year round. You know, I don't have real large G whiz muscles, but I'm very strong for my uh, weight and particularly for my age. You know, so these are the things that you have to do that in order to slow that aging process down. You know, it just it doesn't come all that uh, that easy. It's a discipline. It's a lifestyle, and this people have to understand. Uh, you know that in order to get something like that, you you maybe sacrifice a little bit. I mean, I don't look at it as a sacrifice, but you know, some people will. People get into the luxury poisons, you know, and I've even had some people say, "Well, you know, life won't be worth living if I don't eat the dessert or." You know, or life's too short not to eat the sticky bun. I, but I, I don't look at it that way. I think those things are, are like almost uh, demonic and, and tempting and, and, and definitely lower your quality of life, you know, given into this type of uh, the sensual urges, you know. Yeah, you know, and I think it's it's pretty apparent that you get out of anything exactly what you put into it, you know, and like that's the thing when we're thinking about like the sticky bun or you know all the you know the sugar or whatever it is, and it's like oftentimes I'll get some some flack from from some of my friends or whatever. It's like you know it's like we'll eat the you know eat the sticky bun or whatever it is because like you only live once, and I think it's I, I feel exactly the same way where it's like. It's about what you, what you, if you, the outcome is worth so much to you that all of a sudden the sticky bun starts to lose its appeal, you know, but most people, we end up being addicted to this stuff. Sugar is highly addictive, you know, and it's like, we, we don't realize it. We think that we're carping the DM and it's like, really, we're just addicted to this stuff and we're, we're stuck in a pattern. You know, I'm, I'm curious with you, one of the things that I always, you know, talk about is like maintaining novelty in your life you know and i think that's i think that actually extends your perception of your life by maintaining novel experiences you know and so you from my understanding you pretty much live on the road is that right i am a minimalist uh, you might refer to me as a digital nomad i have no home no apartment no condo no base of operations i own no car i own no property I have no key. I don't have keys. 
Uh, the only key I have right now is this uh, this card right here to my hotel suite right now. And uh, everything I own is in a 45-liter bag. Actually, this is all the stuff that I have right here. I don't know if you can see it. Can you see that? That's a good-looking bag. Yeah, I mean, you can't really <laughs> tell, but my clothes are kind of spread around. But everything fits in that 45-liter bag. There's my life's possessions right there. So I am, I've taken minimalism to the extreme. It's the same way with my strength training. You know, I just pretty much just do a few compound bodyweight exercises. And I like the high-intensity training principle, especially for older um, people. It, it, it's, it's really important. And, um, yeah, my whole life is like that. And, but, you see, it, it was like back when I was a householder and a family guy, a family man, you know, I, I started getting into the accumulation mindset. The accumulation mindset is that you need more and more and more, and more is better, you know? And you just end up working a job that you hate to buy stuff you don't really need, and then you worry about making money to keep that stuff that you don't really need. Some of the stuff, you know, that you have you don't ever really use, and you just keep accumulating more and more and amassing. And it kind of goes back to this principle of believing that you yourself aren't good enough, that you always have to be adding to yourself because you aren't good enough, that you need more, but it's simply not true. And the same thing happens with experiences. People feel they need all these experiences and they need to amass and collect experiences and collect these memories. I no longer believe that. So I, I don't feel like I need novelty. I don't feel like I need to collect experiences any more than I would collect material possessions. I'm very happy and content to do what I do, you know, the relationships with the people that, uh, that I have. Uh, I do go around the world, so I guess in a way I am collecting experiences, but it's just the nature of what I do. And I travel from place to place. Rarely will I stay in any one spot more than a few months. I stayed in Sydney this year from, um, for about two and a half months. But generally speaking, I'm a week, 10 days, two weeks at the most, and then I'm on to the next place. And I like that lifestyle. So I, I suppose there is a built-in novelty to that type of thing. Super. You know, sometimes I'll wake up in the morning and I literally have to sit and think for a moment, okay, where am I? What country are I in? You know, every day is the same for me, Monday, you know, whether it be Sunday. Christmas is the same as any other day. I don't get into the social conventions of birthdays or holidays. Every day is a holiday for me, yeah. you know. So I... I, I I, I avoid all the social constructs, and I avoid all the uh, all the things that go into that collective mindset. You know, it's like this collective consciousness. I try to avoid that if I can. You know, what everyone's raving about, or if everyone, if the crowd's going one direction, I just kind of turn my heel and walk away and go the other directions. You know. Right. Okay. Yeah. You uh, had mentioned. I, I I don't know who originally said that, but. Um, you know, so many people, they end up doing something they don't want to do to, what is it? It's actually George Carlin, by George the way. George Carlin, to, to, yeah. buy, to buy stuff they don't need with money they don't have to impress people that they don't like. You know, and it's hilarious. Yes. You know, and it's, but it's a, it's a fact of the matter, man. It's amazing that we get, we get caught up in this cycle. It's like, who are we trying to impress with all this crap? You know, but I, I think it's, it's interesting that you chose that lifestyle. I'm really, I'm curious because I think that there's, 
there's a percentage of people out there that are like, that's awesome. And then there's like a, probably a much greater percentage of people that are like, I could never do that. What was or your, was your transition? That. That? Yeah. Because everyone assumes that they need the security, security of home ownership, security of a big bank account or a savings account or whatever. But it's not secure. I mean, our government could go south at any moment. You could find yourself penniless at any moment. And a lot of people do. You know, the idea that, you know, accumulating this this material is going to somehow offer you security. You know, that's 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 what I call fear mentality. Sure. It's like a lack and limitation mentality. They believe that there's a very limited universe and there's just not enough to go around. And so they they live out of chronic fear. But uh, I'm not a religious person, but I'm very spiritual. I do believe that there's a higher power that guides me in all my choices and my decisions. And I, I do believe that, that it's natural. Uh, the natural state of man is one of opulence and abundance, and that you attract that through your mindset and your belief system. Mm. And I know that when I need something, if I really truly need it, uh, it materializes, and it happens all the time. It's called manifestation. I'm always constantly manifesting whatever it is I need at the time. So, and anyone can do that. It's just all through uh, thought control and higher mind power. You basically are who you are through your thoughts and your belief systems. Your thoughts uh, create your beliefs, and your beliefs create your reality. Mm. So, you know, it's kind of like life is but a dream, you know, like row, row, row your boat. It really is true. We're all on the stream of life, and your experiences, whether they be considered negative or positive, are basically created through your, your thought system. So if you don't like the dream you're in, you just create a new dream. And the way you do that is by thought control. you got to control your thoughts. Because if you're the kind of person that worries and frets and is always concentrating on what you don't have or on situations that you don't want to have happen, you're basically just setting up an energy that is going to attract, attract that very thing that you're afraid of. Yeah, absolutely. So you need to spend your time thinking about what it is that you want to have happen and the things that you like and, and, and so forth. And, and don't allow your mind to get dragged down with, with fear and doubt and lack and limitation because that's the very thing that you're going to attract. I'm curious for you. So I, I've spent several like six month excursions where just kind of like taking a backpack and traveling around the world and, you know, seeing what happens. And I would always inevitably come to a point where I would kind of feel like, what am I doing? You know, like, this is so cool. I've had all these novel experiences and I've had all these like, woo, like this is crazy, you know, but, um, there would always come this point where it's like, what am I doing? And the thing that I see you doing differently with that and something that I'm planning on, on making a similar transition here for, you know, who, who we'll see how long. Um, but it's about providing something to the world, you know, and like, that's, that's, that's just my experience. You know, I felt like if I could deliver some degree of contribution, then it doesn't matter where I'm at. You know, it's like I'm, I'm making that connection with, you know, with the earth or with, you know, the human race or with the animal race or whatever. You know, I wonder... Do you feel a similar way with that? And then also, I'm, I'm curious, do you ever have moments where you're like, you have dark days where it's like, wow, I don't have a, a base, you know, I need like a Labrador, a Labrador and, a, and a fence and a, you know, a 401k or maybe a 401k, but you know what I'm saying? 
Well, I haven't lived through that. I mean, you know, I, I did have my the dream gym. I had a place called Maxercise. It was the first jiu-jitsu school uh, on the eastern seaboard. Uh, it, I, I brought Gracie Jiu-Jitsu to the East Coast. Uh, I also had a fa- fabulous uh, personal training gym. And, uh, you know, I had the four-story brownstone house with the two cars and a TV in every room and, and uh, you know, living the, uh, the so-called American dream. But uh, I have to tell you, those things don't necessarily bring happiness. They bring a lot of anxiety and, uh, you know, uh, fear and, and, and uh, headaches. And, you know, I found myself working like an animal sometimes, you know, just keep my head above uh, water because your overhead increases, you know, all these things uh, cost money. So you're always working hard. And at least I was doing something I liked, you know. It wasn't like I was in some business or working for some other guy. But... Yeah, you, you, I began to question that part of my life more so than the travel part. The travel part's great. Once I just decided I didn't need all that stuff, and I, why am I working like an animal like that? Uh, it was like this huge weight off my shoulders. And, of course, I didn't go into it necessarily uh, voluntarily. It kind of happened. I, I actually went into it kicking and screaming, <laughs> you know, because uh, divorce uh, reared its head. My ex-wife and I ran the gym together, and, it, uh, it's pretty hard working with your significant other. And, uh, you know, it, it ended up uh, her asking me to leave and at first feeling lost. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait, this is great. Woohoo. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad this happened. This is, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. And uh, that's how I made the transition. I, transi- uh, I made a transition from the really big house to a little tiny house. And then I made a transition from that little tiny house to a camper van in which I lived in this awesome camper van uh, for three years. I drove coast to coast across the U.S. eight times. That was quite a cool nomadic experience driving in this camper van. And then I got rid of the camper van because I started traveling more and more doing the different seminars and so forth. I didn't know what to do with the van, you know. What do you do with uh, a vehicle? With you know? So I decided to sell it while it was worth something and uh, before it you know, just became completely dilapidated. And uh, now it's just I travel with, then I travel with a really big bag, and then I cut that down to a smaller bag, and then I cut that down to a smaller bag, yeah. So uh, it, it's just like this ever, ever, uh, it's a, like an evolution in, in minimalism. Finding out exactly what you need and being really happy with that and realizing that more isn't better and more does not bring happiness. It really, truly doesn't. And, uh, you know, having just enough. I'm not looking to accumulate, but I am looking to have exactly enough to do what it is that I like to do. And that, that, that happens on a daily basis. And I think it's very important for people to understand the role of gratitude in all this. You pretty much can't better your lot in life. You cannot make your life better until you express gratitude for what it is you have. Because when you're not grateful or you're feeling lack of limitation in your life, well, there's the very things that you're going to continue to, to bring about. You're, that type of, of thinking creates more of saying. So until you can feel grateful, and even if you're in really dire circumstances, surely there's something you can feel grateful for. Yeah. Uh, I recommend everyone write down on a piece of paper at least 10 things you're immediately grateful for right away. And start concentrating on the things you are you know, that are good in your life. And in that way, you start attracting more of that. Yeah. 
And over time, with through the expression of gratitude and, and, and maintaining thought control over what it is that you would rather have going on in your life, all of a sudden your subconscious mind will start to create and engineer ways for that to happen. And sometimes it seems like damn near miracles, you know? It's like things will just come out of the blue. It's like, wow. But in reality, it wasn't out of the blue at all. It's like you have been setting that up for weeks, months, maybe even years, that particular situation. We have a lot more control than what a lot of people like to think. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe everything in the universe happens with mathematical precision exactly the way it should happen. You know, a lot of people, they like to think of luck or, or things just happening because they don't want to take responsibility for having something like that happen. You know, people say, yeah, well, what about cancer? Well, you know, that's all part of the manifestation process. You can manifest horrible diseases. You can manifest really horrible health. You can manifest accident. You can manifest all sorts of stuff. You use the this this faculty every single day of your life, but most people are just like un, unconscious of, of of their use of it. So I suggest people harness it and learn to use it for their betterment, for their good, so they too can uh, manifest goodness in their in their life. And what's it have to do with health? Everything, man. Yeah. If you have crappy health, you have a crap crappy mindset. There's no such thing as accidental bad health. You have to work on being unhealthy, man. You know, you you got you know you're you if, if anyone that's suffering from any type of degenerative disease or anything, that did not happen by just some happenstance or accident. It happened because maybe your mother had really crappy prenatal nutrition. It happened because you chose to eat McDonald's and fast food and sugar and 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 got yourself obese. It happened because you happened you picked a job so you can make a lot of money, but you were sitting on your ass behind a desk all day and you just started getting stiffer and stiffer and weaker and weaker. You know, all the you know, bad health is something that you have to work on to to, to create. I believe it's the 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 na- the the normal uh, natural state of a person is high level well being and health. I believe that's normal. What should be normal? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I really like to. I like that perspective of looking at life with you know like this mathematical precision almost. You know, and I and I, I like it for several reasons. Um, one of which is I think that, and I heard actually Joe Rogan talking about this one time, and um, it was like looking at it from like the sometimes you know the darker, deeper we go into the depths of whatever. You know, oftentimes what that what that does, I believe, is it permits us to expand in an even greater potential. You know, so for folks out there that have, you know, whatever, gone through weird childhoods or, you know, they're weigh 400 pounds or they you know, diabetes or whatever's going on, you know, what that permits you from like the mathematical perspective, you know, is it because you're going down into these depths, I think it, it gives you another a potential to blossom. I, I, I like to believe even greater to the degree that you're able to help people that, that have ex, that are going through that same thing. You know, so I don't like it. I think oftentimes people, if, you, if we talk like, well, you know, you did this to yourself, it's like, well, I think I think you did, you know, but I think having it from that perspective of like, you know what, I can use this crummy experience and use it to come out and blossom even bigger because I understand 
how it feels to be really depressed. I understand how it feels to weigh 400 pounds. Like I think everyone has a shot at this. It's not like, oh, I've already, I've lost it. It's over. I may as well just end the thing. Um, does that make sense at all? Well, yeah. I mean, there's no blame in this. You know, like, I'm not condemning people. Uh, I'm just saying that we all, as individuals, create our own reality. We're all responsible for that. And we, what you know, no matter how bad things seem, you can climb back out. You absolutely can. A lot of people just don't know how. I would recommend Ernest Holmes' Science of Mind. It's probably one of the best descriptions of how the human mind and how the conscious, uh, the collective consciousness, the, um, the the subconscious, and the the higher consciousness all work together to create what we call reality. And um, it's a real good book. There's a lot of other uh, mind scientists out there. Uh, another one I like is uh, Rhonda Burns. Uh, it, it's it's uh, she she wrote this book on gratitude, which is really fabulous. It's called the uh, Let's see, what is the name of it? I was going to say The Secret. Uh, not The Secret. It's the, uh, I'll think of it in a minute. But if you just uh, Google Rhonda Byrne, B-Y-R-N-E-S, uh, she has a couple fantastic books out there on how you can kind of just turn things around if things aren't going so well. And even if things are going well, you can keep them going well, you know? Yeah. I'm curious on your experience with traveling and maintaining your health. Um, do you, is there anything that stands out as something that's been really helpful to, you know, to maintain your health? I have a regimen. I have a health that I, that, that I created. And, uh, you know, I, I follow that regimen to a T. You know, it's, a, it's, it's basically my anchor. It's a discipline. You know, it takes time. Uh, it takes me, you know, like uh, probably like an hour and a half every morning. I could break it up into smaller segments. I do realize that some people don't have the uh, the same type of time frame that I do. I do realize that there are people that still are in that whole job scenario that need to, you know, uh, still, because of the level of consciousness they're at, they still got to maintain a, a job, like a nine to five. So I, I've, I've broken it up into segments. I actually have video downloads on my website and how, how um, a lot of these uh, mobility drills and health-related drills. And um, I, I don't find it very hard to eat on the road either. I mean, in some countries, the food quality is really excellent. Like, every every store is a health food store, <laughs> uh, particularly places like Austria. Germany has really, really good high-quality foods also. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of the uh, uh, countries that you don't particularly think of, of being very wealthy, actually, the the, the, the base-level diet and food is quite good. I go to this little island in Greece, Icaria, and on the island, everything is pretty much locally produced and locally grown, and the food is just outstanding. And, uh, you know, if you just eat a little and don't eat a lot and uh, chew your food up, I know that sounds crazy, but one reason why I think most people overeat is they just bolt their food down. I've had dinner with friends, and they they would clean their plate before I'm even not even halfway done with my food, man. If you're not chewing it, you're not going to feel particularly satisfied, and you're going to crave and think you want more. And there's a real tendency to overeat, but if you just take your time and eat really good, fresh, healthy foods locally produced in your area, and you take your time to really chew it, 
And if you simplify your meals and don't combine a lot of food in any one meal, I usually break it down into a fruit-based meal, a starch-based meal, and a protein-based meal. And if I feel like I'm starting to put on a little unwanted body fat, which happens occasionally, you know, uh, I'll, I'll cut the starches for a couple of weeks. And uh, with really immediately uh, immediate good success. And uh, using that simple formula of basic food combining principles and uh, chewing the food up really, really well, I find that I can be quite satisfied in very little. I don't need to eat a lot. And ultimately, my digestion is better and my simulation is better. So I'm actually getting more nutrients out of less food because I'm breaking it down and simulating it much, much better. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like, you know, you're, you're not what you eat, you're what you assimilate. You know, so if you if you got crummy digestion and you throw a bunch of really brilliant food into your belly, but you're not able to break it down, it doesn't really matter that much. You know, so I think that that's a, that's a really really important point. Um, you know, the other it, thing it, it's you, it's everything. You're only like you said, as good as your digestion. Right. And another another point is if you're mixing a lot of food together in one meal, and Americans, I call it crowded nutrition. They just have almost everything on their plate. You know. 5,000 years ago, the yogi said, don't eat starches and proteins together. And, you know, there's, there's tons of, uh, of, of uh, evidence, empirical evidence, that will show your digestion will improve tremendously overnight if you just stop eating starches and proteins. I'm talking about, like, sandwiches, like meat sandwiches or hamburgers with buns, uh, sub, like Subway, you know, like bread with, with meat and cheese. Or having rice and potatoes with uh, chicken or, or meat or anything like that. It's, uh, it's a bad combination. It's hard to digest. And there's a real tendency with starches because they are so delicious to overeat those starches. So if you just do that one thing alone, you'd find that your digestion would improve tremendously. And that you would assimilate uh, more nutrients and have much less tendency to want to overeat. Right. Yeah. Your stomach will feel like it's filling up quicker. You'll reach satiety levels much faster. And it's interesting because I have a lot of clients that I work with online for fat loss programs as well as just health and well-being. I have some really high-level athletes that compete in uh, uh, martial arts and so forth. But uh, everyone to a man has an immediate reduction in body fat just following simple food combining guidelines. Very simple. The guy I like particularly was this Dr. John Tilden. He was one of the early, uh, he was an early physician at the turn of the last century in the early 1900s. And uh, he was following pretty much Ayurvedic principles even back then. He cured so-called incurable diseases with simple fasting and with dietary guidelines. And, uh, you know, he had thousands upon thousands of clients. So, he had a good database to see how well this worked. There was another guy by the name of Dr. John Hayes. Hay was uh, given up for dead. He was told he was going to die. He had uh, uh, some form of cancer and, and uh, he had uh, diabetes. I mean, he was a big obese guy. and He saved his life through fasting and going into strict food combining. And uh, the Gracies, my mentors in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, they had what they called the Gracie diet. And it was basically a Brazilianized version of uh, uh, food combining. 
they came up. But most of the principles uh, work the same. I mean, you'll find different, uh, slightly different details between the different food combining principles. But the one that's common to all of those is don't eat starch and protein. And it's best to divide your fruits, vegetables uh, in two separate meals and keep your protein and starch in two separate meals. And you can pretty much digest anything if you follow those things. I mean, you can even eat gluten or dairy if you just eat it by itself, you know. The problem with the glutens is uh, people are just eating too much of it, you know. They're just eating it every damn meal. Toast for breakfast, uh, bread in the form of sandwiches for lunch, uh, dinner rolls and such at night, you know. So it was always just gluten, gluten, gluten. You, you, could, you could develop a sensitivity or even an allergy to almost anything if you overeat it. Or you miscombine it. So, yeah. Another thing that I there's no I don't de- I don't demonize food. By the way, there's no I don't think there's any. Uh, yeah, I, I think think anything can be digested if it's if it's eaten in moderation, and uh, if if you're not combining it with a lot of other stuff. Right. Yeah. Another thing that I've found, which I've talked about before on the show, is uh, fat is quite satiating. You know, so I, I think I don't know what your thoughts are on fat, but um, I've been experimenting with with more of like a high fat diet. I wouldn't call it a, a diet by any means, but just eating, eating cream and eating butter and eating stock and just really getting after with that. And it's this amazing thing that you know when you're eating starchy food and you're eating sugary stuff, it's almost like you get hungrier and hungrier. <laughs> Whereas if you eat some really good healthy fatty food, you you're you're good for for. I mean, I'm I'm filled up for like the day sometimes sometimes I almost have to like remind myself to eat have you have you experimented with fat much oh yeah absolutely especially on the road sometimes you know I like um, seasoned nut based uh, bars that I buy from like a health food store like Whole Foods or something to take on the airplane with me and I find like a couple of those bars like a sesame bar or seed nut bar uh, I mean there's so many good ones made out there now you know right. uh, with this whole paleo thing you know there's a ton of uh uh, all sorts of really good uh, high-fat, uh, moderate protein, low-sugar carbohydrate-type bars out there, like meal replacement bars. So I do a lot of that in the room. I definitely like my avocados. Uh, I definitely like to uh, uh, seeds and nuts, although I'm, I'm not, like, insane with it. You know, you always hear fat people talk about, well, I had a, hand, a handful of nuts between meals. It's like, shouldn't be snacking, man. Yeah, you got to watch. Fat is very satiating, and I do like my creams and butter. I like clarified butter. You've heard of ghee, yeah. G-H-E-E. Uh, you know, that stuff was revered as a holy food. I usually go for the full fat yogurt or whole milk, you know, but I'm very careful because, I mean, you know, uh, I don't want to exceed my, my daily uh, expenditure. So um, I, uh, I, I do eat fat. I do find it satiating. Uh, but I don't overindulge in it. It's very easy to overeat fat, just like it is starches and everything else. So I'm, I'm, I'm always, uh, uh, and fat people got to be very careful with everything they eat. You know, when you're when you're fat, you don't want these nen- uh, uh, nutrient dense foods like peanut butter and nuts and all that stuff. You need to be eating predominantly uh, raw fruits and raw vegetables as the base of your meal. Because, you know, when you're fat, uh, there's something wrong. You've, you know, you're, the, uh, your, your survival mechanism is broken, man, you know? Right. 
the fact that you're accumulating a large amount of uh, body fat. It also means that you're using your unfair uh, uh, amount of natural resources because you're e you're eating in excess of what your body needs. So that means you're you're using uh, your uh, an unfair amount. So you need to cut that down, and you don't need nutrient dense foods. You need to create a deficit so that your body uh, uh, can burn off that body fat. And it's not easy. Now, I, would, I would kind of come from a, an approach for me personally of like, I like really nutrient-dense food, but I, I think better to do less nutrient-dense food than a high amount of, you know, voluminous food that doesn't, you know, like rice or something like that. From my perspective, I well, think it's yeah, the order. Well, yeah, I mean, I, the first thing I do with my clients that are fat, I get them off the starches. They don't need starches. Starches are bodybuilding foods, energy-producing foods. And if you're fat, you need to use your fat for energy, your stored body fat. Right. So, you know, taking energy-dense uh, uh, food or, in other words, when you're fat, you need to become catabolic. You don't need nourishment. Let your body burn off the stored body fat. That's all the nourishment you need. You know, anyone could easily go 30 days without eating. Sure. I've done 14 days. Most people have no clue what true biologic hunger is. And they're eating out of habit. It's called habit hunger. Right. You know, as soon as it's noon, it's, oh, it's lunchtime. You know, they're not really hungry. They've never had a keen hunger in their whole life. Right. And, you know, every one of the things that they need to be eating all the time or they need all these snacks. Think about what the Nazis did to the, uh, the POWs and the Jews during World War II. Think about those concentration camps and POW camps. Think about what Stalin did in the gulags, you know, when those guys got sent to Siberia. Man, they were on starvation rations doing forced hard labor from sunup to sundown every single day. And in some cases for years, some guys survived those camps and lived to tell the story. Right? Yeah. Talk about being hungry. So the next time a person feels hungry and they're like 50 pounds overweight, they should feel ashamed of themselves and realize they're not hungry. They don't even have a clue what hunger is, man. Right. You know? Yeah. I, Think I, about how those people worked hard physical labor on virtual starvation rations. That's how resilient and tough the human body is. Now, I'm not advocating that people, you know, create a concentration camp for themselves and and you don't necessarily have to have to starve, but you certainly need to be a little hungry and not be so fearful of it. Right. Think about like when you're a little kid, right? You know, uh, misguided but well-meaning mothers, you'd be throwing your your freaking guts up with the flu. Oh, you got to get something down. You got to eat to keep your strength. What bullshit, right? Right. In reality, your body was telling you in no uncertain terms, I don't want food. I don't need to eat, and should have been fasting. But for some reason, people are really fearful of hunger. I, it gets put in your mind early. You know, so afraid of feeling a little bit of hunger or feeling like, oh, I got to eat. You know, and some people are afraid of the hunger because, oh, well, later I'm going to sporge and I'm just going to eat like, you know, a whole, whole uh, carton of ice cream or something. But you see, that's that false thinking. That's the lack of mental control. Yeah, I'll be I'll be sure to uh, put a disclaimer out that Steve Maxwell is not pro Nazi concentration camps before the show goes. <laughs> now it's just an example of how the human body can can do okay even in a 
horrible, horrible, horrible condition. Sure. I'm curious, with all your travels, um, I'm curious what you notice as far as movement in cultures and which culture moves the best, which which culture just has the overall healthiest lifestyle that you've witnessed, and um, how can we bring that to the United States, I guess, but anywhere in general? Like, how can we learn from these people? Well, the longest living males in the world all come from Norway. And uh, in Norway, they, they, they're very much into uh, uh, walking and, 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 and moving their bodies. Uh, they, they probably uh, would do better having a little bit of strength training in there. Um, the longest living women in the world all come from Okinawa. And, of course, the Okinawan men are just like within just a few months uh, of the uh, American men. And all of them have a culture of moving their bodies. When I'm in Asia, for example, everybody can squat butt to the floor comfortably. You even find people waiting for buses in a nice deep squat, you know. And, um, of course, it is changing. I mean, you know, technology is spreading to these countries. Everyone seems to think that technology is so good. And we, we uh, modern man tends to be really smug and, and thinks that we're so much more developed than our ancient ancestors. But all we have is the microchip and, and technology. In truth, we're stupider than we ever were. You take, you take the average person and take them out in the woods. Let's just say even 50 miles. It's not that far. Let's say 50 miles in the Canadian wilderness and dump them off. He would probably die of fright. He wouldn't make it. He wouldn't make it back to civilization. But yeah, less than just 200 years ago, you could take any child out of the woods and they could find their way back home. They could build a brush shelter. A lot of times they knew how to make fire. You know what I mean? They'd find water. So, I mean, it's like, okay, yeah, we do have technology. We do have all this amazing stuff. That, but in, in truth, our, our, our instincts and our, our ability to, to uh, take care of ourselves has gotten less and less. I think, uh, you know, you've, you've heard about Monsanto Foods and, and so forth and some of these big corporations. Um, it, it, I heard it said that the, the food supply is controlled by like 1% of the people on Earth for the other 99%. So we basically have 1% pretty much controlling the food for the, the, the other 99%. That's not a good situation, man. Right. People wouldn't be able to feed themselves. They've lost all their natural ability. And that's, you know, that's all technology. But back to what you're talking about, like as far as movement and all that kind of stuff. Um, I find that the worst of America is slowly creeping in everywhere. I used to go to Iceland every year. Uh, started around 2004. And over the... Uh, over a 10-year period, I saw the people getting fatter and fatter and fatter. And I even said to my host, I said, are people getting fatter here? I don't ever remember seeing obese people here when I first came. He says, absolutely. You'll find Kentucky Fried Chicken. You'll find Burger King. you got McDonald's. you got all this horrible stuff, all this fast food. You find the same thing in uh, Taipei City in Taiwan, even in Shanghai. And, and the last time I was in China, you know, uh, plus the pollution levels of all these places because they're, you know, they're getting all industrialized. So I think what's happening is no one really has the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the superior, the superior movement or, or anything anywhere. You'll find 
pockets of people in every country that have fantastic movement patterns and and really lean and, and, and so forth. But for the most part, the general populace is going downhill fast, you know, due to modern technology and all these, these countries. But, you know, everywhere I go, I, I find people that of a like mind. When I, when I was in Moscow, for example, and later Krasnodar and Novosibirsk, I met like groups of young guys doing parkour outside. And uh, they, uh, you know, I, I did some workouts with these young guys, you know, and it, man, it was so much fun. They're just making use for what they had. They, they, you know, they're really poor and they just use playground equipment to do like all these real cool exercises and stuff. And I jump in with them and, you know, so you always find like little pockets everywhere. In Shanghai, even though the pollution is absolutely horrible, there'll be people doing martial arts out in the street or in the public parks. And, you know, so you find these pockets of people everywhere, everywhere in the world that are keeping themselves healthy and in shape despite the bad environment or environmental pollutions, or even in situations where they don't have access to, like, uh, you know, like a, a lot of food. You still find people uh, training and keeping themselves healthy, healthy and keeping the movement patterns and slowing down the aging process, you know. But unfortunately, pretty much worldwide, uh, the health is going pretty much south, you know. It's... Um, People are kind of like in this uh, uh, middle state between health and sickness. Like they look healthy on the surface and, you know, they are symptom-free. But any little bit of stress pushes them into sickness. They could easily fall prey to any type of bug or flu or anything that comes by because they haven't built up a health reserve and that's one of the things that I've worked very hard on to build a health reserve sure. so that I'm exposed all the time to all sorts of pathogens and sickness and viruses, and uh, I, I never get sick, you know. I did catch a cold like uh, three years ago, uh, but I had overexposed myself in ice-cold water. I did a really long swim in cold water, and it was a little bit too much for me. I wasn't acclimated to it. I ended up enervating myself and, and getting quite sick. But uh, for the most part, if a person keeps their body and their immune system strong through proper diet and exercise and builds up this health reserve I'm talking about, you're going to get exposed to the freaking Ebola and the plague and be perfectly fine, you know? There's plenty of people that were exposed to the Ebola and didn't get sick. It's just like back in the ancient times when the bubonic plague swept Europe, right? You had some people, you know, everyone got exposed one level or another. You had some people that got sick and died right away. You had some people that, that they got the bubonic plague and then they languished for a couple of weeks and then eventually died. You had some people that got deathly ill but survived and, and, and survived. And then you had some people that didn't get sick at all. What was the difference between the, uh, those people? Some guys tried to tell me it was all genetic, but that's bullshit. I don't believe that for a moment. I do believe that some people had a health reserve, that their body, because they had, all re they had been uh, always taking care of themselves and eating right, and, and, and they, they, they built like a nerve energy and this health reserve through, through taking care of themselves. They were able to withstand even the bubonic plague and not get sick. And that's what I try to do, uh, you know, pretty much a daily basis. Just, and a lot has to do, once again, back to the mind and your belief systems. You know, if you believe in sickness and illness, that's pretty much what you manifest. Sure. I, yeah, I, th I think that that's it's a really important concept to be thinking about of, of really developing your health reserve. 
You know, it's like we can look at this from the perspective of like dementia, you know, where they say it's, you know, the breaking down of that myelin sheath around, and I'm not an expert in dementia, it's just stuff I, you know, I read now and again, you know, but the, yeah. breaking, the breaking down of that myelin in your brain, in your nervous pathways, ends up eventually causing things to get a little bit hectic with your thought patterns. You know, it's like the more that you can develop that myelination or that, it's that, that, that conductive insulatory stuff that wraps your nerve fibers, allowing for electricity to wow, fly past, fly across nerve fibers, the more that you can challenge yourself and develop that insulation and that that reserve, like Steve's talking about, you know, the the longer and more sustainable your mind and your body will be. Same concept with bone density. Same concept with overall conductivity of your whole entire system. Same concept with just your perspective on the world. I think. Um, well, the, yeah, all, all the all these all these things. Um, I, I think an awful lot of people, uh, you know, they start believing this stuff. You know, it's kind of like uh, all these scare tactics that the media likes. People like to kind of be scared. Otherwise, there wouldn't be thrill rides or horror movies, you know. So people, there's a certain level that I should be frightened. Right. And people like these big scary stories and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, you, you shouldn't believe any of this stuff, you know. I, I try not to read the papers. It's always bad news. I try not to look at the news other than in the news, you know, what, what the, my favorite movie or whatever. But, um, yeah, if you allow yourself to be uh, – if you if you allow your, your opinions to be formed by media, you'll always be in a chronic, chronic state of fright. And that state of fright actually makes you more predisposed to all this stuff in the, in the first place. And all of these degenerative diseases can be avoided and prevented through the diet and the exercise. Absolutely. I'm going to give an example. My father is the only person in his family left alive. All his brothers and sisters, all 11 of them, all died early in the mid-60s. Every one of them through uh, heart disease or a stroke. Uh, they all had advanced osteoarthritis. Uh, a couple of them had diabetes. And um, they all had dementia. Now, my father's 90 years old, and he's still pretty spry, and he still uh, has his faculties, and he, his mind is pretty clear. And uh, he's the only one that didn't get fat. He always systematically underate. He was the only guy in his family ever to lift weights, and he's the only guy to, to do any type of uh, uh, cardio. He was, he was into running and jogging and stuff. And uh, he probably would have been even better off if he would have done joint mobility or, or some more uh, uh, flexibility work. He got pretty stiff. But the fact of the matter is he's 90 years old, and he's still in good health. And everyone else in his family, his father, his mother, you know, his grandparents, all his brothers and sisters died very early, and they all suffered degenerative disease. So anyone that says that, you know, it's it's genetic, this bullshit, it's simply not true, man. You do not have to become a, a slave to your genes, man. Right. Yeah, I, I prefer epigenetics over genetics. Um, so one of the questions I asked everybody, we, we we're all out of time here, I wanted to just ask if you could go back to any age in your life choose the age and give yourself any message brief little whisper in your ear what age and what would you tell yourself if you had to well i suffered some pretty bad injuries in uh, competitive sports namely uh, brazilian jiu-jitsu but also wrestling i would have uh, if, if i if i i would have gone at it 
uh, more more kinder and, and more gentle. Uh, I do believe that competitive sports, as fun as they were, are life shortening. I believe that uh, competitive sports are innovating. That you do pay a price for those type of things. And I think I could have avoided a lot of injuries I had because I had a tendency to overtrain, uh, trying to push myself too hard too often. Uh, I'm not saying that you shouldn't push yourself hard, but you can't do it very often. And uh, I, I would have dialed back the intensity, uh, not, not even the intensity, but the frequency. Really dialed that back. And I, could, I think I could have saved myself a lot of overuse injuries. And I, I think I could have saved myself some of those things. Some of these injuries, uh, you know, are... Uh, plaguing me to this day. I mean, I, I'm like I said, I've overcome most of them, and I, I'm able to do pretty much what I want to do. But you know, I, I got some uh, permanent uh, immobilities and things in my joints from from damage that I did. So, uh, you know, when you're young, you think that you're going to live forever. You know, you don't you don't see the light on the end of the tunnel. Sometimes you forget when you're in your 20s and 30s and even 40s that you still may have another 40 years or whatever to live with this body. So you got to treat it with respect and with kindness. So I, I might have dialed back a little bit, especially on the volume and the frequency and possibly the intensity. And I, I, I would treat myself a little bit more kindly. Awesome. That's great advice. Uh, how do people contact you, find you, find out what you're doing? I know you have a, a, a workshop coming up in El Salvador. Yes. Uh, I do workshops all the time, but I've started doing training camps, lifestyle training camps. Uh, I'm actually leaving in nine days to the island of Ikaria in Greece where I'm doing a lifestyle training camp. Uh, Twelve people signed up and they're going to basically live with me for uh, five days. I showed them my health and fitness system. We talk about uh, diet. Uh, I showed them a lot of really cool uh, longevity uh, exercises and so forth. Uh, Ikaria has the distinction of having the oldest living people in the world. They have the highest uh, number of centenarians per 100,000. Um, it's, it's amazing. Three out of every 100 people there on the island live over 100 years old. It's unusual. And uh, then uh, in November, I'm doing my first jiu-jitsu lifestyle training camp. Some people just love getting on the mat and rolling around with their brothers and their sisters on the floor like little puppies or kittens. And... Um, I'm, I'm into jiu-jitsu for the long haul, for fun, and I think it can be a great anti-aging tool, great tool for mobility. I'm going to go over the Gracie uh, uh, self-defense system. Uh, we're going to do different, a lot of different joint mobility exercises and so forth for keeping your body young and youthful so that you can continue to do the activities and recreations that, that you did in your youth, so enjoy and uh, that's going to be in November. So you can go to my website, maxwellsc.com. That's maxwellsc.com. And you can look at my events page and see all this stuff coming up. There's, uh, you know, there's uh, uh, places that you can sign up and so forth. And uh, that's how you can get in contact. There's a contact uh, uh, number there. There's a contact email that you can uh, write me if you like. And... Uh, I try to answer all my emails. So. Cool, awesome, man. Well, I look forward to seeing you on the road. I uh, I got a pop up trailer, and I'm planning on doing a similar similar thing. We're kind of like world tour, 
and doing workshops and speaking. And uh, so hopefully we'll cross paths here. I'm sure that'll. Yeah, man, I'm sure. You know, and believe it or not, the fitness world isn't all that big. It's estimated that only 11% of Americans actually train and work out. It's pretty small. Well, wow. So, you know, even though you think millions of people are doing it, it's actually not as many as you think. Right. So it's kind of a small world out there. Yeah. Great. Most, most, most people know each other and cross paths at some point. So. Right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Steve. I appreciate your time, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Align Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show, and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find my blog. You can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the the, uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find Hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body. You can check out the online coaching where we work work out how to optimize your movement practice so that you can live optimally and pain-free for the rest of your life. As well, be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car. And it's like a physical therapist and massage therapist all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And I look forward to hearing your comments. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.